Good morning, my Kingsmead family and brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope that you have had a good week. This week has been glorious with the wonderful sunshine we have had as well as the spots of rain here and there. I hope God will continue to bless us this season so that our beautiful Zimbabweans can feed themselves this year. I have chosen a couple of oldies but goodies for our praise and worship today. The first one is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to praise, worship and glorify your honourable name. We know that you are Almighty God and Saviour who can lift us up when we are down and fill us with your heavenly joy. We want to thank you for the lovely rainfall and sunshine we have had this week. Your showers of blessing are wonderful and we just want to say thank you. Lord, there are so many other things for which we should express our gratitude, like our family and friends, employment, health, our pets and homes, food on our table and clothes, just the small things we take for granted. Lord, we thank you that in every season there are some trees or bushels which blossom and the sight is just so awesome. Help us to enjoy your creation and take time to smell the roses. Father God, we know there are many of us who are facing insurmountable troubles, whether it's sickness, unemployment, loss of a loved one, or ju just feeling anxious and lonely. Father God, we know that you are our great healer and comforter. Please help us, Lord, to trust you for that which we need. We especially pray for those people on our prayer list. Lord God, we ask that you reveal your insight and wisdom to our government who are not only trying to help the economy grow, but also to take into consideration the safety of our people. We pray that you help them to make choices which benefit the whole of Zimbabwe. We pray for our speaker, Craig Deal, who is going to bring us your word. May his teaching reveal what you need us to hear so that we may hold your words in our hearts today and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted to tell you that just recently I had to have my dog put to sleep. She was old and riddled with cancer. I knew that I had done the right thing and I know that she is in heaven with the Lord now and she's very happy. I really do believe that our pets go to heaven when they die, but my madam has left a huge hole in my heart. I have been reflecting on the unconditional love that pets give us. They are always happy to see us and almost always they are waiting at the gate around about the time we are due to come home from work. Pets always lift you up when you are down or they merely come and lie by you and just their mere presence comforts you. It also reminds me too of our Heavenly Father's love. It is always unconditional. He loves to hear from us and he waits for us to come to him when we are down. He lifts us up with his everlasting comfort. Jeremiah 31 verses 3 to 4a says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. I would just hate to know what people feel like when they don't have God in their lives. What a huge God-shaped hole it must leave in their hearts. Life would seem hopeless and miserable not to feel the unconditional love which God so freely gives us. That love whom was sacrificed on the cross 
so that we can spend eternity with him and of course our pets. Before I hand over to Craig this morning, let's listen to Be Thou My Vision.
Morning, friends. What a joy it is to be able to share with you today. And as always, I take it as a, an incredible responsibility to be able to share God's word with God's precious people today. So, Father, I just ask that today you would give me your heart of compassion to feel with, your ears to hear with, your eyes to see with, but today, this morning, Lord, would you give me your mouth to speak with as I share with your precious believers here on earth. I just put this, Lord, today at the foot of the cross. May you be glorified through anything that I say today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we are talking today about Imago Day. That in English is the image of God. Are we us being made in the image of God. So, first up is perhaps we need to ask the question, are all humans made in the image of God? You see, we see such evil in humanity, and in my own heart, and we contrast that with a God who is so holy and so pure. How do we reconcile the filth of man with the holiness of God? How do we do that? So I guess... First up, we need to just dig into the Bible a bit, and um, the Bible's pretty sh clear from the get-go, where it says, we read in the first chapter of the Bible, this is Genesis, Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, so God made human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And the New Testament confirms that God's image isn't lost by pointing out that all people, not just Christians, are made in the likeness of God. We read in Ephesians 4, verse 24, it says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in, the true, righteousness, in, in true righteousness and holiness. There's another reference in, uh, from Colossians 3, verse 10 says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So that confirms what the Bible says, but it, it really still doesn't seem to marry up with what we see around us, does it? How can we be in the image of God and yet we're so sinful? Does sin remove the image of God? What was the effect of sin when it comes to the image of God in man? I dug around and I came up with an explanation from Wayne Grudem in Systematic, Systematic Theology. He writes that since man has sinned, he is certainly not as fully like God as he was before. His moral purity has been lost and his sinful character certainly does not reflect God's holiness. His intellect is corrupted by falsehood and misunderstanding. His speech no longer continually glorifies God. His relationships are often governed by selfishness rather than love, and so forth. Though man is still in the image of God, in every aspect of his life, some parts of that image have been distorted, disfigured, or even lost. So that 
gives us quite a good explanation of that. You see, it's the image of God that makes us human, separates us from the animals. God, man, could not lose this image without ceasing to be a human. You see, it's only because man keeps this image of God, even in a broken and distorted form, that makes man redeemable and it makes man worth redeeming. Without it, God would have no reason to have sent his son to die on our behalf. We're made in his image and he wants to repair us to get back to what he originally intended and Jesus was the only way. I might not be correct here, but I assume when we are born, we are sinless. Up until the time that we can make our own first choice. I guess we all have our Garden of Eden moments when we choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and we suddenly become conformed to the standards of this world. Every one of us has done this, consciously or unconsciously. So, despite being having born with an inherent conscience, a knowledge of what is good and what is right, we have since fallen and we are slaves to the inherent sin manifest out of our original, out of the original sin in the Garden of Eden. I can explain this by thinking, you know, after all, we, we're not taught at home or at school how to steal or how to lie. It seems to come naturally to us. We have an inherent sin nature. All of us. Only Jesus hasn't. We're the only other person to walk on this planet who has not had that. But, but all is not lost. If we make our identity in Christ and as we grow in faith, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are on a road of sanctification, in other words, until we are fully redeemed. And that will only happen when we see Jesus face to face. Uh, Wayne Gruden continues, he says, every, Since every human being, no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin, or illness, or weakness, or age, or any other disability, still has the status of being God's image, and therefore he must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. This has profound implications for our conduct towards others. It means that people of every race, tongue, tribe deserve equal dignity and rights. It means that elderly children, elderly people, the children, and even the unborn deserve full protection and honor as human beings because they made in his likeness. Wow. For me, when I reflect on it, it means that every living person on this planet, having been made in the image of God, if I dislike someone who has a different skin to me, a different station in life, a different outlook, a different political view to me, or even an, my enemy who curses me, if I hate them, it also means I dislike God. I'm convicted by the words of James. 
And he says this of our tongues. He says, sometimes our tongues praises the Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Oh, Lord, help me. How many times have I done that? Use the same tongue to praise God and then curse someone who's made in his image. Father, I need forgiveness. Sorry, Lord. So, we are, we are all God's image bearers. We're just distorted and warped. But we're on the sanctification road to redemption because of the cross. And we one day will be perfectly returned to his image. But we're living in a cynical world and there are many hurdles along this road. Some are obvious, some insidious and subtle. Some are cloaked in good ministry and in good works and an amazing church. You see, the terminal sin of pride lurks around every corner, exposing us and shedding the likeness of Christ in us. If we are made in God's image and are secure in our identity in Christ, then surely we should all our days be aspiring to be like him because we're in his image. Fortunately, that's not the case. I need to ask myself honestly, who do I aspire to? What really impresses me? And we've got a Christian answer to that, and every believer should think it's an obvious answer, but we need an honest introspection. And that might reveal a totally different answer. Who do we aspire to be like? Someone of the world? Amazing ministry? Or is it Jesus? Is Jesus just enough? And I, I, I think about this when I'm reading Luke 10, verse 17. You know, Jesus is welcoming back the 72 who had just been on their first short-term mission trip. And in Luke 10, 17, it reads, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Wow. We find here that Jesus was actually not too impressed that his disciples reported having cast out demons in his name on their admission trip. He wasn't impressed because after all, Jesus had been there, done that. He'd been casting out demons on a daily basis. And then he also impresses upon them that, hey, I was in heaven when we cast out Satan, so it's not such a big deal for me. And he says, also, I gave you, who's the source of your authority to cast out demons? To Jesus, it was like a foregone conclusion that they would perform such mighty signs. And so he's asking them, why are you so amazed? All they needed to do was consider the source of their power and authority, which was Jesus. You see, they didn't really understand their identity in Christ was more in what they did. 
You see, what should have impressed Jesus' followers was not the casting out of demons in Jesus' name, but the fact that their names were written in heaven on account of Jesus. That's what should have impressed them. You see, we don't need to make a name for ourselves. You know, after all, 20, 30 years after I die, who's going to remember me? Rather, we should cherish the realization that God knows our names. And if we are found obedient, when we do eventually see him face to face at the end of our road, it should be like looking in the mirror, the real image of God. And this brings me to Matthew 7. This, this, uh, these words have been uh, stinging in my heart for some years now. It's Matthew 7, verse 21. It's about the Im- our image on, and our, where, our, where our faith should lie. He says, true disciples, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. As a such such a sobering passage, and it just reveals to me that we can know God's name, and we can know all about Him, and we can do ministry, and we can do church, and we can do all that stuff in His name. The key question: Does He I know my name? Is my name written in the book of life? So it's not about knowing Jesus. It's about Jesus knowing us. And so all the good works in the world are nothing compared to just resting in the knowledge that Jesus has got us and we just have to, Jesus is enough and that he has written our name in the book of life. You see, we should be content with our identity in Christ. No matter what we do, no matter how powerful our ministry is or how, whatever we do, We should just be content with that. Whatever good deeds we are doing, even in Jesus' name, should not be what feeds our soul, because that feeds our pride. But rather, all that should feed us is the precious truth that we have a Father in heaven who knows us by name. This precious truth will keep us from grasping for power and it's a, it's a recognition, a safety, a security in your image of God that keeps us faithful to the calling that God has given us. We don't aspire to be someone else. We don't aspire to greatness other than the greatness of being recorded in the book of life because we are made in His image. You see, there are no exploits we can perform to gain Heaven's approval. Rather, God's unconditional affirmation and intimate knowledge of us by name, even as little children made in his image, frees us just to be free and share the good news 
free of vain, vanity and glory, that whatever we do is for His glory. We simply, as children of God, we just need to exalt the name of Jesus because we are His. We are made in His image. And if we exalt the name of Jesus, He will draw men unto Himself. That's our role, folks. Exalt the name of Jesus. I leave you with that. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for this time. I just pray that uh, our hearts have all been softened today. And especially as we reflect on Matthew 7, all our good works are sometimes just filthy rags to you, Lord. What is important is do you know our names? Have you written our names in the book of life? Praise you for this time. We give you glory. As things swirl around us, Lord, we can praise you in the storm. We can praise you in very deep water. But we praise you nonetheless because you are a good, good God. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. Hi, everyone. Ryan here. Thanks to Ali and to Craig for their contributions. And thank you all uh, for listening in. We will be together again, same time next week. Have a blessed week, everyone.